0: Do you know the author? No, I don't. And I don't know the title either. But it's a blue book, and it kind of gives the whole story. You know. I think we can help you. Have you a real love of books and learning? When you have these two important qualifications, love for books and love for people, you may well consider the vocation of a librarian. Welcome to Adventures in Library Instruction. This is episode two. We'll call it December 2011 slash January 2012 uh, combined issue, and we'll talk about why that is in just a moment very briefly. Um, I'm Jason Puckett. I'm the Communication Librarian at Georgia State University in Atlanta, and uh, Happy New Year to my co-hosts who will introduce themselves.
1: I am Happy New Year, Jason and Rachel. May 2012 bring you a fabulous year of teaching and health and happiness.
0: Thank you, Anna. Oh well, you know
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> This is Anna Vanskoik. I am a part-time reference librarian for a county public library system in New Jersey.
2: Hi, happy New Year. I am Rachel Borchard and I'm the science librarian at American University. In Washington, D.C. And Jason, what episode number did you say this was?
0: I said 32. Is that wrong? Oh,
2: okay. I just heard the two and I was like, what? It's
0: episode two. Sure. Why not? Um, So last time, I was going to say last month, but it wasn't last month. Uh we said it was our first time ever missing a monthly episode <laughs> and hey, we did pretty good going almost three years without ever missing an episode. And I guess we jinxed ourselves because in December we, we tried twice in December to record. We had a um, uh, an incidence of illness and uh, we had a uh, technical, set of technical difficulties last time we tried so we ended up having to go ahead and push this to the first week of January so thank you for sticking with us and bearing with us and we're going to try really hard to uh, to get back on a regular monthly schedule so
2: Jason really they should be thanking us for not publishing last month when we could have but it would have been awful to listen to
0: that's true <laughs> that,
1: yes that's very true because we all know, we know everybody out there loves Jason's voice, and it did not sound like Jason. He was Robot Man, and it just
2: didn't work. It would have I, been a very cool Auto Tune episode, though.
0: I think. I think if I end up editing this episode, I'm just going to put the whole thing, the whole thing through Auto Tune, and just La-da-da-da. yeah, that's right. <laughs>
2: that was for Auto Tune purposes. It's going to sound awesome.
0: <laughs> so, uh, what's going on? Uh, everybody had a good uh, winter break, I, s- I hope. I certainly did.
2: It was wonderful.
0: Um, Rachel, do you want to it's talk about? Day. Do you want to talk about your news before we get started?
2: Sure. Yeah. Um, so, I found out about a week, I think, before the break that uh, the instruction coordinator is going to be going on sabbatical. Uh, not next fall, but the fall after. So, fall twenty thirteen. So they are um, slowly going to transfer his responsibilities to me um, while he is on sabbatical. And I have no idea what this means long-term, but at least for a year I get to call myself the instruction coordinator. Uh, And for now I get to take over um, pretty much our biggest successful collaboration. I think I've probably talked about it before. Um, It's our first years, and, you know, we have really every professor gets matched with the librarian. Um, so it's a really great program to work with. And I'm super excited because I love college writing and I always have lots of ideas for it. So that is my news. I have no idea. I assume I'll still be the science librarian, too.
0: That's anyway, really, that's really awesome, haven't. Rachel. Congratulations. Thanks.
2: <laughs> Thank you. I'm really excited because, you know, I love instruction, obviously. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm sure you guys will be hearing more about it.
1: I think the nice thing about it is that you have a year for transition.
2: I know that was. I, I'm I'm amazed at how early the instruction coordinator, you know, um, was aware of future planning and succession. So
0: you know, I guess for a year sabbatical, you really have to plan way ahead. But uh, yeah, I mean, we we talked about that when you first told us. We were sort of amazed that uh, uh, you had that much lead time to transition. So.
2: Yeah, and, and Alex is so good at what he does, and he knows so many people there that it's going to make it so much, a lot easier to be able to learn from him rather than fumbling my way through it. So.
1: Which, when you yeah. think about it, when a lot of people... I just know that when I went to the instructional co- coordinating position in a previous position, I kind of got in there. And granted, the, my predecessor had lots of files and lots of notes, and, and the <laughs> team leader was very, very... Um, She really was, I'm trying to think, she was just a gung-ho for information literacy and incorporating information literacy into the curriculum. So I had those factors going for me. But still, when you get in there and you don't know anybody and you're trying to make those connections and you have to do your own environmental scan kind of, you know, the fresh eyes kind of approach, and you can kind of start looking at that now, you know, in the upcoming year and kind of figure out, you know, do the Mary McDonald effect and do, you know, okay, these are where our strong points are. Focus on those and, you know, try and patch up some of the different areas that, that you want to have strength, get stronger in and whatnot. I just think that's neat. I mean, to have that opportunity. Yeah. I just know so many people get in their first year and after their first year, they're like, I have not accompli- accomplished anything i <laughs> wanted to because <laughs> you're I'm just sure. you're trying to learn your way around.
2: <laughs> and I'm sure mine will be no different, but, but um, you'll have even to- just...
0: You'll have like a year of mentoring to yeah. to kind of ease you into it, which is fantastic
2: yeah it it is really nice to have someone there, um, especially just to have discussions about um the culture you know of the people that they've been working with, and maybe like specific tactics to take with different people and things like that because um, you'll never find that written down so i'm I'm very grateful for this period of transition.
1: They couldn't have picked a better person. I'm excited Absolutely. for you.
2: Thanks, guys.
0: Well, you're going to have lots of material for the podcast coming up, right?
2: Yeah, definitely. stay tuned
0: cool um i just have a quick if if we're done for the moment talking about that i just have a quick announcement um i've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast before the um zotero continuing ed class i do for simmons college online um it's coming up in february uh as far as i know there's plenty of room in the class um so uh, if you're interested in that, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes, but it's, it's a continuing education class. It's entirely online. It's entirely asynchronous. So there's no class meetings and it's kind of everything I know about Zotero in a month. And you get a free copy of my book uh, in ebook Ooh. if you register for this. Yeah. Cause I use it for, um, I use it as the textbook. So. Anyway, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes, but I just want to mention that in case anybody's interested. Oh, you know what? One thing I do want to mention—did I talk about the? I know I talked about um, instruction boot camp. Boot camp. That, I was just mm-hmm. going
1: to ask what happened yeah. with boot camp.
0: Yeah. Did I not? I guess I didn't get a chance to talk about that because it finished the first of December, and we haven't managed to do an episode since then. Yeah. So let me talk about that real. It went great. This was the class, also for Simmons College, that um, I, I co-taught with um, a friend of the show and my colleague, Sarah Steiner, and it went great. Um, We just got the feedback, literally yesterday, we got the the course feedback from the students, and everybody really liked it. We were so pleased. We've got some ideas for next time. Um, Several people said they wish it were longer, uh, which How long was, was it, Jason? It was a month long. All okay. of the Simmons classes are a month long. And um, so we're, we're talking to Simmons about what we should do about that, either, um, you know, maybe cut down the content a little bit um, just to make it more manageable, because um, some people said they had trouble doing everything the, the amount of time. Um, but also we're, we're trying to figure out if there's some way they will let us do a class that's longer longer. Than a month, so I'm not sure if that's going to be practical or not. But we are doing it again in May, so I'll I'll bring it up again um, in the spring when it's coming closer. So, uh, but it went great. Everybody said they really liked it. We did like a unit on I've said this before, but we did like a unit on um, uh, instructional outcomes, a unit on assessment, not in this order, a unit on um, instructional technology. We talked about videos and lib guides in that. Um, and um, uh, I'm forgetting something. Oh, uh, hands-on in-class uh, slash active learning activities. So we have some good ideas uh, for how to make it better next time, but uh, we're really pleased with how the the initial run of Instruction Librarian Boot Camp went. And we had, uh, we had a good mix of like, I, we had a couple of library school students. We had um, a couple of recent graduates. We had some new instructors and we had some experienced instructors who just wanted to like work on their um their i guess their theoretical foundations and beef up their skills a little bit so we had really exactly the kind of mix that i was hoping we would have so yeah it went great congratulations thank you um yeah and they've asked us to do do it again so uh, i think may is when we're doing it again so that's all more about that later sounds good cool Rachel, you have a topic you want to talk about this month.
2: I do. So uh, I guess to set the context for this, uh, I've been thinking a lot about workshops lately, and I'm not sure why. I guess just as a different way to reach people, like we're starting to do some new workshops about um, like preparing a tenure file and stuff like that. And I want to... Well, I guess this kind of came up as a result of my teaching for the past semester as well. But I am preparing to do a workshop... Um, with a a schmaltzy title. But the idea is to teach, well, it's like-
0: What's the title?
2: Search in an hour or something like that. Um, But to teach not only the how-tos of how to search database, but to really delve into the critical thinking behind how to search things and how to And I've come to realize more and more that that's what I really want to be teaching people. Almost more than the, the things like like those things are, are great too. I feel like the more that they can think like us, the better their chances of, of success. since I keep seeing people make the same mistakes over and over again. you know that technically they'll have the boolean operators and all that stuff just fine. but what they're searching for is still way off base, you know, And so they need to to tweak it or they're not looking at their results and updating it or you know what I mean? Just all these kind of critical thinking errors. So what I wanted to talk about is how do you teach? It's almost the art of search and the how-to of searching. Whew.
0: Okay. <laughs> and how do you do that in an hour, right? Yeah.
2: I, yeah, because I think part of the, my problem is I don't remember how I learned it. You know, I feel like... Because I'm thinking back to like as an undergrad when I worked in libraries. And I feel like I always... Knew it, but that can't be possible. I'm not—I'm no, I'm not a genius, so I must have learned this somewhere along the way. Or is it just something that takes tons of practice and can't be taught?
0: Well, to some extent, I mean, we're not geniuses, but we are kind of freaks because we ended up becoming librarians. So <laughs> we, we, we do kind of have a librarian brain to begin with, and that's—that's that's what makes it one—one one thing that makes it hard to kind of figure out what the thought process is. Um, I saw something recently and I'm trying to remember where it was. And I don't know if it was like best Google tips or, or something. And one of the things they said was don't ask Google questions. You know, think about what words your your results are likely to contain and search for that. Because apparently a lot of people type questions mm-hmm. into Google, which seems like a strange thing to do. And that's I had sort of that uh, a moment of, of librarian brain disconnect. I'm like, I wonder if that's how most people think who aren't used to spending all day searching for stuff. Um, but that's, that's kind of an example of, of the sort of thing you're getting at.
2: Yeah, and it, it almost makes me wonder in that specific case, like if there's a fundamental disconnect with people understanding how these systems work, right? In that maybe they're thinking Google is more powerful, and it is like I give it a question, it magically translates it for me right? and gives me an answer when in fact it's just finding usable keywords. So now we have things like, you know, Google Ask or whatever that thing's called, which are question form. Mm-hmm. And I've actually started using questions because uh, you so often can find one of those huge database of questions um, that'll be very similar to what you asked. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like maybe people aren't understanding what the database actually contains and people, it's, you know, journal articles, but I don't, I I don't know. I've never gone into the nitty gritty details of, you know, the title and the abstract and it's matching keywords and sometimes I do, but not Google and you have to be more specific. But I don't know. I feel like I'm not conveying that, the, the gestalt, you know, of how to translate my knowledge to other people.
0: Well, I brought up Google just because, like I said, I had I had run across this thing recently. But, um, I mean, it's the same kind of stuff mm-hmm. if we're, we're talking about databases. Um, when you brought this topic up, now, I didn't know you were thinking in terms of a one-hour workshop, but this is what I thought of that was relevant to, to me right now. Um, this semester, we are all, we being all the subject librarians, are all working on instruction plans and this is going to be kind of a, a couple of page document that's kind of an overview of what we how we approach our instruction for our our departments of responsibility. so like for communication I'm I'm gonna come up with a list of all of the classes that I do instruction for and you know just make some notes about what I cover in each one And we're supposed to come up with some ideas for, you know, document how we're going to assess these learning outcomes and things like that. Um, But what it made me think, what it kind of has has forced me to take a step back and realize is that I'm not – I haven't been thinking in any kind of systematic way about – what are, you know, the foundational things that I should cover with this class and that build on that for this higher class on the assumption that the lower class? I mean, to some extent I do, um, because I, you know, I sort of figure out what is their assignment and, and, you know, what should I be showing each of them, each of these classes. But I haven't really thought in terms of kind of taking a step back and looking at the whole program. These, you know, these, uh, this level needs... This set of skills, and by the time I get to the next level, I should have hopefully seen them already and shown them how to do these things and build on that. So I was thinking in terms of, uh, uh, you know, kind of a, a longer programmatic kind of thing. You're talking about a very brief um, workshop environment, which is. Um, sort of different but it's it's kind of the same idea though that that there are certain things we need to show people before they're going to be competent at at doing this next thing I don't know if that made any sense at all but
2: I think it all kind of blends into the same picture I think regardless of if it's one um, hour or you know four years through college my The basic question is, how do we teach this stuff? Mm -hmm. I find myself so often resorting to just gritty details of this is how you use this database. This is how you retrieve this article. You know, and and in the past semester, I've started, I think I told you guys that I'm I'm liking the, um, gives me a topic on the spot. Or I think of a topic, but I don't search it beforehand Mm -hmm. with them on the spot of, oh, no, I'm getting these articles that have nothing to do with it that we brainstormed earlier, or, hey, I just found this keyword, let's add it in. You know, maybe I should restrict the years, that kind of, so that they kind of see my my mindset of what to do after you have can figure out and make it better.
0: Right, and I've done some of that in class. I've done some of the kind of... Um, Uh, you know, improv topic on the spot and it it works well if you're using their topics because it immediately makes it more relevant to them. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering if we should think this process through more like, which I think is what you're getting at, is kind of, um, uh, you know, what do we want to illustrate to them, you know, um, even kind of back up to something more fundamental and not just, kind of on the fly talk them through our thought process, but uh, but actually, you know, consider ahead of time what, what is our thought process when we're sitting down to do one of these.
2: And ultimately, how do I get them to do this?
0: Mm-hmm. You know, right.
2: because I think they can watch it and they can understand what I'm doing, but I have never seen someone then do it. You know, because usually I walk around and I see what they're doing. And I've seen and, them
1: type questions into
2: yeah. academic yeah. search Yeah, premiere. after I say, okay, let's statement topic, let's pull out the keywords, and then we usually brainstorm them. Yeah, it's like, should I be so they can see how poorly it works? Or I don't know. I just feel like it's not like I'm te- not learning it. Or maybe I'm not teaching it.
1: I don't yeah. know, I just think, I keep going back to the, I want to say it was Roy Tennant that always said this He, was it Roy Tennant? He'd be like, librarians like to search Everyone else oh, likes to find
0: Yeah, we've all heard <laughs> that Yeah, sure
1: I haven't, it's new to me <laughs> I don't know why Roy's coming to, coming to mind But I And I, I, you know, I'm trying to Because I'm going back to grad school My first time in grad school And this is when I was using Eric And it wasn't, the, you know, it was like prompts. It was basically using DOS commands almost trying to mine this database. And I just got it. I mean, I can't, I cannot think about, I'm trying to think about how did I, and this was before Google. I mean, maybe we're all Google-fied and we just, because Google does make it easier in a lot of ways. I mean, again, how many, they've done all this research and all these studies, how far do they look on the page? Are they even analyzing their hits that they found? Are they just clicking on the first one and going with that one? Um, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm really having a hard time wrapping my head around it
0: I've seen, I've seen students type questions into the catalog, into the library catalog now not, not recently and not often but I, I do remember a student actually typing in something like she was looking for books on women in ancient Egypt and she was typing in something like what was the role of women in ancient Egyptian society something like that So, yeah, I mean, even with something like, like the OPAC that we think is, well, I don't know if we think it's straightforward or not, but (laughs) something that, that it seems obvious that, that somebody should, should be able to understand what kind of information is in there.
1: And maybe Um, let them struggle mm -hmm. with it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because you can go up there, you can talk about how. You can tell them it's different. It's a different structure than than Google. That this database holds a certain type of information. You can go into the whole scope and context of the database, and with that, how you search it. But then, thinking of an active exercise, you can go through and have them pull out the keywords and type those in and do ands and ors or whatever. And I mean, maybe, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. My head hurts trying to think about it. I mean, maybe, maybe they get success through failure first to start thinking you know, about it critically
2: it does make me think of one other thing is i wonder if having like a an actual worksheet would uh, you know and i hate worksheets generally but like maybe forcing them to go through the same step as a class I you used know to do so worksheets, right? yeah
0: i i hate them too because they always seem so cheesy and artificial to me um yeah. What, what I have done sometimes is, and this can be a good discussion starter in class, is, um, like Anna was just saying, have them, you know, have them fail first. Um, because that can be a great way to show them what you're doing, what you think you know is not actually working all that well. Because they come in, so often they come in thinking, oh, I already know how to search. Why do I need to know this? But if you have them go into the database and, you know, tell them, just tell them, find one article on your topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go in and they can't find anything. That brings into sharp focus for them, hey, maybe I don't know as much about how this works as I think I do. And and that can sometimes, um, like I said, it can start discussion sometimes because they'll at least raise questions at that point. But it can also um, it kind of you know get them to to pay attention to hey, how is this different from what I think I know already?
1: Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I also, yeah, yeah, I don't know, because i I mean, there I think it's such I think it's like nailing jello to a wall. There are so many factors <laughs> in place here because if you think about a database's interface, there's a lot going on on that one page. it's there's a lot of um, a lot of links, a lot of you know advanced search search, um publications uh, about this database. There's a lot going on there. And I just know even in the classes I've done, the public library when we've talked about doing consumer research i'm like okay we want to search the publication consumer reports we're in this database how would we get specifically to that publication and it's like they just blank they even looking at it they'll start typing in consumer reports when mm-hmm. there's a link right there that says you know publications in this database or something like that i can't remember what it is, mm-hmm. but it's very intuitive yeah. and it's it's i don't know if it's bad web design i mean i don't want to Get everybody, all the vendors out there, mad at me, but it's it, it.
2: <laughs> it is bad web design. <laughs> to say it.
0: It's frequently they, bad bad design. Yeah.
2: I mean, I always tell people like the publishers are about ten years behind the rest of the internet because they don't, you know, they don't really listen to what is working. Things like Google, you know, and to make it more intuitive. For well, people. they're gonna
0: they're gonna get a check. Either way, you know, they mm-hmm. don't need to attract subscribers because they're already well, yeah. they they do, but That's I mean they've, they've got lots of guaranteed subscribers.
2: Yeah. I like pulling up a CSA database because they've still got um, a place where you can type in manually like AU equals, you know, like the <laughs> yeah. uh, the dialogue way of doing it. Oh, just God. to show yeah, I know, just to show them like, yeah, this is what like they think it's a step up that there's other alternatives to using this, (laughs) which, you know, it's so backwards thinking to me and especially thinking to the students.
1: But again, should that be part of the, them sitting down in front of a database and them think, you know, that, that kind of that natural progression and thinking, okay, this is, I need to talk this database's language. This isn't Google. I'm going to talk X, Y, Z, you know?
2: Yeah. And to me, it seems like the solutions that like cramming more words into it, (laughs) spellings, or changing their topic. You know? I I don't think they ever get to that point of what is this database's language? What is it trying to get me to do? It's like, I need to change, you know, in the way that... Not to conform to the database.
0: Yeah. Maybe, I'm sorry, maybe what we need to provide them is like, you know, four things... You need to know before you're searching databases. One is, you know, don't maybe what I suggested. Don't ask questions. Think about keywords. And this is obvious stuff to us, but I mean, we're we're thinking in terms of very basics here. What yeah. do non-librarian novice searchers not realize about using a database? So, one, don't ask questions. Think about keywords. Look at subject headings, et cetera, that kind of thing. Um, you know, another thing could be more words equals fewer results. Um, I always
1: say that, less is more. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. fewer words you'll get more results, more words you'll get fewer results. And if we can explain why that is, explain the logic of of that to them. I don't like using and and or, and I don't like using the word Boolean uh, (laughs) with students. I think it just confuses them further. But if you can explain the logic of why more stuff, typing in more stuff gets you less stuff back, which seems backwards.
1: I use um, Boolean as much as I possibly can.
0: Do you? I use
1: really? subject heading as much as I can. No,
2: you guys.
0: <laughs> well, I I don't know. Maybe I'm doing it wrong.
2: I actually do mention it. I tell them, like, we've got these three words, and then I tell them, these are the Boolean operators. And I always say, so you can tell anyone, uh, if anyone asks you what you learned today, I learned Boolean operators and sound very smart.
1: <laughs> do you guys ever watch the... Um... There was a sitcom, or not a sitcom, there was a show on called Greek. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw it. It was no, like, the family. Thought. And it's about these kids. They're at some random college in, in Colorado, and in, I'm sorry, in Ohio. And this one kid goes to do research on another, on a classmate. And he comes back and he tells them all this information he found. And, and the guy says, how did you find all that? And he's like, well, I went onto the internet and I did some ands and some ors and some buts. <laughs> And some knots. He says, "He said, you know, the internet's pretty powerful once you get a Once you put some Boolean operators in there." And I was like, "Oh my god!"
2: Wow, there must be a librarian on staff there. I wanted to have like that
1: snippet to like show in class, you know, <laughs> like, just like a little. But I mean, that's the only time I've heard it, like in every day, whatever.
0: I, I must have. I must have talked about this before. The professor who asked me about Boolean operators, <laughs> as in soup. <laughs>
2: Beef, chicken, and vegetables? Yeah, yeah,
0: she a- she asked me that in class. And, <laughs> Did and you fortu- see the
1: low sodium variety?
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Well, fortunately, she had a very good sense of humor about it. When when we um just uh, dis- when we cl- cleared up the terminology, let's say she she thought it was pretty funny that she had always thought it was bouillon operators. So oh, that's really funny. Uh, I'm not sure that's one of those you know like misheard song lyrics that you never question. I guess you know yeah. never never occurred to her to ask why it's called a bouillon operator. Anyway.
2: Big old Jet left his light on. <laughs> I don't know yes. what's called Boolean. I mean, it makes as much sense as Boolean, right?
0: Um Boole is back the back guy's back. name that invented it. George Boole. Oh.
2: Well, okay, that's random. <laughs> in my world.
1: To go back to strategies in the class because yeah. we can list off, okay, these are the four things that you need to know.
0: And I made up the number four, by the way. I, I don't right, think I and four
1: I understand one. we're working totally on a it's like we're planning a class together right now. We're just kind of going through things that we'd want to do. I always find that analogies work. What kind of analogies could we use in this kind of aspect? The first thing I'll start, because I've got an idea. That's why I asked the question. Or should I answer my own question? Is that rude? I don't know.
0: Answer, because I don't have an answer. Do it.
1: Do it. I do, but go. I always compared the new data, a a database we go into like a country I said these are all the databases they have it's like different countries and you can go in and you have to talk the language of that database you can't go to Italy and start talking Russian you could and you would probably get some results you know you'd find out where the bathroom was (laughs) but I would always talk about how each database has a different language that you have to talk talk to the database to get the most to use it the most efficiently and effectively
0: sure so the, the
2: analogy I use most often, I'm pretty sure I got from you, Anna, but it's the uh, comparing databases to stores, and yeah, how we talk about that's a good yeah, one too. Um, and re- recently, because we were talking about Walmart, and then like I used the store, right? Like all the socks you could ever want, but nothing else. And then <laughs> some environment, the environmental science database. There was one that's like large, but then it's all around. It's not the sock store because it's bigger than a sock store, but it's not Walmart because it's all of one type. Um, And so we came up with, um, shoot, now I can't remember the name of it, that hunting superstore, Cabela's. Is that right?
0: Yeah, Cabela's. My my father-in-law always gives us presents from there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, seriously. So I was like,
2: this is the Cabela's because it's large, but it's all, all, you know, subject.
0: I really like that. I'm going to I'm going to start using that when that's I'm talking about too. the different the different EBSCO databases. Um, I need to come up with an analogy for that because students don't understand what oh, what's EBSCO.
1: Hard. Yeah. Well, when with, with EBSCO, you can say there's EBSCO. I mean, how would you do that? Cuz you think of like Gap, Banana Republic. Ooh, yeah. That's a That's what I was going to say. I say Gap and Gap Kids, Gap Body, Old Navy, right? they're all the same company they're- for the most part
0: hmm. But interesting they sell different stuff.
1: It. But it's all different stuff. Exactly. I'm not yeah. going to go to Banana Republic and look for pacifiers. Right. Well, maybe. Who knows what's yeah. in the season. But. It... <laughs> 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 but I think it's interesting if you think 10 years ago, there really was no brand name recognition thing kind of going on. I don't think, I mean, you could have said EBSCO host and people would have looked at you like you were crazy. You could have said LexisNexis and people would have looked at you like you're crazy. Now students come to the desk and they say, I want to search EBSCOhost. Because mm-hmm. yeah. that's, I mean, they, uh, it's a brand recognition thing now at this point, I think. Yeah.
0: So is this something that's important for, for them to know? Is this one of our, our, you know, short list of a kind of critical thinking skills is is being able to identify what database you need and what, what database you're using. I think maybe it is because a lot of students don't really get that relationship, or I think it could be, depending on your audience.
2: I think so. And I think that if we're using a more subject-specific database, I can use much narrower terms okay. Okay. and expect to find them than in something like Academic Search Premier, where it's more the popular um, audience.
0: Sure. And I'm I'm thinking of my, my journalism history class where we've got them using a communication database and a history database. And I tell them, if you're searching the communication database, you may need to throw in the word history in there. If you're using the history database, you don't need to because everything in there is going to be historical related. Right. Yeah. yeah.
2: Right. If we're looking in like academic search premier, I might use like, uh, you know, men and women and brains or something. But in psychology, I would use like MRI and gender or something like that um yeah but it, it's tough because
1: then I guess what there's I like the about, catalog oh, sorry I'm go- i was just gonna say that's what you i know, like about it though true. because i think the catalog fits in there you think about what the catalog is oh you know what yeah cause i guess we're asking that we're, t- we're kind of talking about having them focus on what is in this database and the catalog is yeah. a database it, well I, you know what i haven't seen an academic catalog in a long time you guys so i don't i mean i'm assuming that I just know that they, when I left Emory, they were going the direction of kind of throwing everything in there. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. Oh man, we could have a whole episode about that. Like, I uh, obviously difficult to explain that.
0: How to how to teach this thing? Yeah. I mean, in yeah. some ways, it makes we've got um um we call it Discover, and I'm trying to remember what the actual name of the product is. The EBSCO version, oh, not yeah. Summon, but the EBSCO version of it. Um, yep. EBS, EBSCO Discovery System, EDS. That's it. And, um, uh, yeah, trying to, we're still sort of grappling with how to teach it, uh, mm-hmm. to students and, and how to explain to them what, what is in this thing. Um, so it's are they immense... getting
1: articles? Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm, I know I'm totally dumb right okay. now. I just, no, no, I, don't no. know.
0: I I think that this is primarily an academic thing and I don't think that outside of, yeah. um, university libraries, I don't think they're being used that often.
2: I, be I, I, could be,
0: I could be wrong about that. But yeah, they're getting, um, and it's not, see, it's not exactly a database because it's not just the contents of some of the databases. It's like journals from most of the publishers are at least indexed, and sometimes they're full text. It's got the whole contents of the catalog. It's got, now ours now has the, um, uh, some of our special collections archival material indexed in it as well mm-hmm. so how do you explain to students what this thing is i mean they seem to like it um i mean it's the
2: academic it's the academic answer to google scholar
0: yeah it really right? is. it's
2: kind of like our pre-screen database which can be good and can be really frustrating and it almost makes it too easy they do they are much more forgiving they're you know they'll suggest spellings for you mm-hmm. when you misspelled it mm-hmm. So a lot of what we teach that could be gone when you use one of them.
1: Do you think they're understanding what they find in there? I mean, you're saying they're finding books, they're finding archival materials, they're finding journal articles. I mean, do they... That's a whole nother aspect is to not, the critical thinking, the different types of information that's out there. types of information
0: yeah. and what, what information you need. I'm not sure they always do. I don't know for sure, um, but I, I'm not sure that they always do. That It's not always obvious what's a book, what's an article. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're labeled. Um, and if you point out the label to a student, they'll go, oh, okay, I get it. Um, to some extent, you know, It's, like, obvious to me, okay, just at a glance, this is an article and this is a book. And some of them have pretty book covers and stuff. I think sometimes to students it's confusing, though.
2: But I know sometimes when they go in there, they assume everything's going to be scholarly, too. Sure,
0: yeah, right, right. And
2: that's a huge problem. Like, some of our – we had some feedback on ours. And a couple of professors were livid that we have it because um, it – you know, because it does bypass the critical thinking. Students are just assuming that whatever they find on there is great to use. Interesting.
0: Well, and that goes back to make sure that they understand the contents of, of the database, of the search tool, whatever it is, whether it's one of these discovery systems or a, a catalog or, or what we call a database. Um, understanding the contents is, is one of the, the really important things that people need to keep in mind when they're using it. And that's not really something that people think about when they're using Google. It's just, it's the web, you know, it is what it is. Um, But when you're doing academic research anyway, that can become a really important distinction.
2: Yeah. Uh, But getting back to our list, I would say not only identifying uh, what's in the data, we're also almost expecting them to anticipate What kind of results they would get and then tailor their searches according, you know, to like think like that researcher in that field and then use the same terms. And that's that's one of the ones I really struggle with, because I I often have to tell them, like, use gender and in women just because I know in psychology that's how it's referred to. But how do you get there?
0: I talk I talk about subject headings a lot, and um, I I feel like students' eyes kind of glaze over when I do that. And I haven't found a great way to teach subject headings and and vocabulary, but it makes such a difference when you do um, when you do consider the the vocabulary of the database, and you know, and just expressing to them that it, this can be different in different search tools. That's a tough thing to do. I haven't found an interesting way to do it.
1: Do you mean how yeah. one subject heading might be a certain way in one database and then it's a different way in another database?
0: Yeah, I yeah. mean, which I guess if, if most of what you're using is LCSH, that's not a big deal. But if you're partly that they could be different, different databases, partly that the subject headings, the terms that these items are indexed by might be different from the terms we would use in common conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Rachel's sex versus gender Term, you know, uh, is is a good example of that.
1: Well, and Uh, and a perfect example of that is is World War One. I mean, that's not.
0: Yeah, yeah, right.
1: It's it's the years, Mm -hmm. and then I can't remember. World War
0: nineteen fourteen and nineteen seventeen, or whatever. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I like to use Harry Potter because he's uh, listed in a catalog as a juvenile wizard, Harry Potter, (laughs) 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 and in academic search premier, he has his very own subject heading. It's just Harry Potter. Searching for him.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. I thought of another one. Oh, cookery! Everybody, every, every oh, cat's favorite. Cookery, right?
1: <laughs> Although that's
0: changing or has changed. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I never get asked to find cookbooks, but I bet Anna does.
2: Cookery. You, cookery. You know what? We should have a cataloger on in a future episode yeah. to talk about this stuff.
0: Because I never. Is a great idea.
2: I guess, I guess,
1: yeah, Jason had talked about eyes glazing over and I just always feel like when I would try to get into the mechanics of it, that they were gone. They were just gone. And that's when I would always just go to the hands-on and let them do the failure thing first.
0: Yeah. But that's, that's what I was saying about it though, is, is that helps keep the eyes from glazing over a little bit because at least they will understand, okay, I need to know this because when I tried it, I failed. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, at least yeah. they'll have some, they'll have some conception of that, but it's, it's hard to do. I mean, it's not effortless or, or foolproof. I,
2: I mean, I really like having the, the, you know, five things you need to know about this in order to succeed, succeed, or like the golden rules, you know, of to change or something.
0: Yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to use some of this in my, uh, yeah. my intro too. required intro research classes that are coming up in a few weeks.
1: I do. I like the use of a number and I like the use of what the goals are. It almost reminds me of a good blog post when you read it and it says like seven, I don't know, ways to get bubble gum out of your hair. Because, you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I couldn't think of anything. So, you know, you're going to have, you know, the expectation is that there's seven and and you can bullet point them. For uh, you know, for something for them to reference later or whatever, but then the, you're going to get that expanded information in there as well.
2: But I, and I can see easily applying this to other like because one of my other big ones is um, when you're using Google to find fix or whatever. Um, and it but it comes with its own set of what are the golden rules or evaluating information that you find on the web. Sure.
0: Yeah, sure. Is one of the things that. Um, rachel's and my students need to think about is one of those things um talking uh, determining peer-reviewed status of items right. because that comes up a lot or is that more nitty-gritty than what you're talking about rachel i mean you're talking about the the big picture stuff here really
2: i mean that's a little more cut and drag because it's you can develop a very definite list if you yeah. follow the list you're going to get yeah. the right answer where you know some of my stuff i think it, it does just take Right. You know, that if done your first search and you failed, knowing how to fix it, always intuitive, you know, or something that you can explain with a couple simple rules, because it depends on how they failed, you know, and there's a million ways to fail. But I think it's a good start, you know, if you can kind of cut out ways um, in which they have been failing, Uh maybe it makes it easier. Mm -hmm it's a good start I'm actually yeah.
1: trying to think it's kind of a it, it's interesting because it's I'm starting to think about our catalog and how our catalog is almost counterintuitive when you're searching it now we just changed interfaces and the way it works is it's just it's it's different than any other <laughs> web-based catalog I've used before mm-hmm. and um as a librarian I struggle with it because I want the I want to be able to use the ands and the ors and the whatnots and and uh I, I, more times than not, I get people coming to the desk saying, I did a search in this catalog and I got nothing and they were looking for, you know, Harry Potter for an example. Mm-hmm. And that's, and it's kind of, okay, maybe the database interface is kind of funky, but it, it, it's making me, I, I need to think more about how can I, some of the analogies that I can use and some just more the critical thinking so that they can, cause you want them to be able to use the catalog on their own because they use it at home all the time, um, and I don't know, it's just, it, I'm trying to think of it. I, I'm just kind of talking out loud right now. Okay. Sorry, but it's. um.
2: Okay. I think something else, something else I refer to sometimes is the relative intelligence of like the catalog, the database. Like mm-hmm. I, I always say PubMed's a very smart one. It does a lot of the thinking for you. Mm-hmm. It's very forgiving. And then the catalog, I say, it's not very smart. If you don't, or like web of science, which exactly how it wants it, it doesn't know what to do with it. You know, so I, I kind of say, like, you have to supply the intelligence and know how to do it. I don't know if that helps.
0: Right. No, that I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, even if you're just talking about one, I mean, we're not usually, I'm not usually comparing databases to a, an audience, uh, to a class. I'm usually saying this is the one that you should mm-hmm. be using or this is the maybe the, the two or three that you should be using. Um, and in my case, they're almost always EBSCO. So I'm not usually comparing them. But if you can just talk about how smart this database is, how many, you know, what kind, what level of suggested help it will give you and things like that, that can maybe cause them to, to cause the, the students to think about it more. Yeah. I like I like that. Yeah.
2: Or even things like how the related terms work. Right. Like. Yeah. Right. Because in some databases it's excellent and some all it's doing is like taking your keywords and. Or that's relevance. Relevance ranking. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, like explaining that, I think maybe helps them understand what the limitations of the database are or the strengths, either way. Does that make any sense? Sorry.
1: Yeah, no, it absolutely does. Okay. And again, but yeah, it, yeah. It, it does. But I think, again, it's sitting down. So we're, we're so programmed to just sit down and start typing things in. And I think, I mean, that. and I'm not saying sit down and stare at the computer for 10 minutes, but I just think sometimes you just kind of need to take a breath and, you know, think about what you're going into search at that time. It's a split second thing.
2: The context, I guess. Mm-hmm. Thanks, guys.
0: <laughs> is Is that a wrap up point?
2: Yeah, I well, I am content. <laughs> well, no, I
1: think uh, yeah, because we've got a list of things. Uh, yeah, I actually, uh, yeah, I'm happy with what we've come up, came up with. I got some things to think about, which I always enjoy with our conversations. <laughs> totally. Well,
0: no, this is yeah. this is good timing for me because in two or three weeks, my my instruction crunch starts, and uh, so this is a good time for me to think about what what I'm going to be doing differently this semester.
2: I will let you guys know what I end up doing for the workshop, but. I really like the idea of making lists. So I'll think about it. Make it exciting.
1: When you <laughs> get, you're, you're going to know the five things about XYZ. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll see. I had to resist putting a, a, a Z at the end of skills. Better skills. <laughs> so I want to make it flashy.
0: <laughs> mad, mad skills? Mad skills.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, we'll see if anyone actually comes.
0: Yeah, the the kids love slang from 10 years ago, I find. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Thank you all for listening. This has been episode two, December 2011 (laughs) slash January 2012. Um, Welcome to the new year. I hope everybody's got a great uh, teaching season about to start off. Thanks for listening. Adventures in Library Instruction is produced by Rachel Borcher, Jason Puckett, and Anna Venskoig. It's released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial License. To subscribe, go to our website at adlibinstruction.blogspot.com. Leave comments and suggestions on the blog or email us at adlibinstruction at gmail.com. Our opening theme song is Dropping Out of School by Brad Sucks and our closing theme is Higher Education by the Napoleon Blown Both are available at magnatune.com. Contact the library schools and the American Library Association. They are able to give you valuable advice.